Hush, said the cabby. They all listened. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was, beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. The horse seemed to like it too. He gave the sort of whinny a horse would give if, after years of being a cab horse, it found itself back in the old field where it had played as a foal, and saw someone whom it remembered and loved coming across the field to bring it a lump of sugar. God, said the cabbie, ain't it lovely? Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead, all at once, was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently, one by one, as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. Next moment, a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out. Single stars, constellations, and planets, brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. If you had seen and heard it as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves which were singing, and that it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them sing. Glory be, said the cabbie. I'd have been a better man all my life if I'd known there were things like this. The voice on the earth was now louder and more triumphant, but the voices in the sky, after singing loudly with it for a time, began to get fainter. And now something else was happening. Far away and down near the horizon, the sky began to turn gray. A light wind, very fresh, began to stir. The sky in that one place grew slowly and steadily paler. You could see shapes of hills standing up dark against it. All the time the voice went on singing. The eastern sky changed from white to pink and from pink to gold. The voice rose and rose till all the air was shaking with it. And just as it swelled to the mightiest and most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun arose. Diggory had never seen such a sun. The sun above the ruins of Karn had looked older than ours. This looked younger. You could imagine that it laughed for joy as it came up, and as its beams shot across the land, the travelers could see for the first time what sort of place they were in. It was a valley through which a broad, swift river wound its way, flowing eastward towards the sun. Southward, there were mountains, 
Northward, there were lower hills, but it was a valley of mere earth, rock and water. There was not a tree, not a bush, not a blade of grass to be seen. The earth was of many colors. They were fresh, hot and vivid. They made you feel excited, until you saw the singer himself, and then you forgot everything else. It was a lion, huge, shaggy, bright. It stood facing the risen sun. Its mouth was wide open in song, and it was about 300 yards away. The lion was pacing to and fro about that empty land and singing his new song. It was softer and more lilting than the song by which he had called up the stars and the sun, the gentle rippling music. And as he walked and sang, the valley grew green with grass. It spread out from the lion like a pool. It ran up the sides of the little hills like a wave. In a few minutes, it was creeping up the lower slopes of the distant mountains, making that young world every moment softer. The light wind could now be heard ruffling the grass. Soon there were other things besides grass. The higher slopes grew dark with heather. Patches of rougher and more bristling green appeared in the valley. Diggory did not know what they were until one began coming up quite close to him. It was a little spiky thing that threw out dozens of arms and covered these arms with green and grew larger at the rate of about an inch every two seconds. There were dozens of these things all around him now. When they were nearly as tall as himself, he saw what they were. Trees! he exclaimed. All this time, the lion's song and his stately prowl, to and fro, backwards and forwards, was going on. What was rather alarming was that at each turn he came a little nearer. Polly was finding the song more and more interesting because she thought she was beginning to see the connection between the music and the things that were happening. When a line of dark firs sprang up on a ridge about a hundred yards away, she felt that they were connected with a series of deep, prolonged notes which the lion had sung a second before. And when he burst into a rapid series of lighter notes, she was not surprised to see primroses suddenly appearing in every direction. Thus, with an unspeakable thrill, she felt quite certain that all the things were coming, as she said, out of the lion's head. When you listened to his song, you heard the things he was making up. When you looked round, you saw them. This was so exciting that she had no time to be afraid. Can you imagine a stretch of grassy land bubbling like water in a pot? For that is really the best description of what was happening. In all directions it was swelling into humps. They were very different sizes, some no bigger than molehills, some as big as wheelbarrows, two the size of cottages, and the humps moved and swelled till they burst, and the crumbled earth poured out of them, and from each hump there came out an animal. The moles came out just as you might see a mole come out in England. The dogs came out barking the moment their heads were free, and struggling as you've seen them do when they are getting through a narrow hole into a hedge. The stags were the queerest to watch, 
for of course the antlers came up a long time before the rest of them, so at first Diggory thought they were trees. The frogs, who all came up near the river, went straight into it with a plop-plop and a loud croaking. The panthers, leopards, and things of that sort sat down at once to wash the loose earth off their hindquarters, and then stood up against the trees to sharpen their front claws. Showers of birds came out of the trees, butterflies fluttered, bees got to work on the flowers as if they hadn't a second to lose, but the greatest moment of all was when the biggest hump broke like a small earthquake, and out came the sloping back, the large wise head, and the four baggy trousered legs of an elephant. And now you could hardly hear the song of the lion. There was so much calling, cooing, crowing, braying, neighing, baying, barking, lowing, bleeding, and trumpeting. But though Diggory could no longer hear the lion, he could see it. It was so big and so bright that he could not take his eyes off it. The lion, whose eyes never blinked, stared at the animals as hard as if he were going to burn them up with his mere stare. And gradually a change came over them. The smaller ones, the rabbits, moles, and such like, grew a good deal larger. The very big ones, you noticed it most with the elephants, grew a little smaller. Many animals sat up on their hind legs. Most put their heads on one side as if they were trying very hard to understand. The lion opened his mouth, but no sound came from it. He was breathing out a long, warm breath. It seemed to sway all the beasts as the wind sways a line of trees. Far overhead, from beyond the veil of a blue sky which hid them, the stars sang again, a pure, cold, difficult music. Then there came a swift flash like fire, but it burned nobody, either from the sky or from the lion itself, and every drop of blood tingled in the children's bodies, and the deepest, wildest voice they had ever heard was saying, Narnia. Narnia, awake, love, think, speak, be walking trees, be talking beast, be divine waters. Greetings. Hello world. Greetings friends. Welcome to the Song of the Spears podcast and painting. So what you just witnessed was a vocal, musical, literary dramatization of a creation myth, specifically the creation myth of Narnia, by C.S. Lewis in, I believe, the creation myth, if I remember correctly, is in The Magician's Nephew, which is chronologically the first book, but not the order that he wrote them in. Highly recommend The Chronicles of Narnia. If you have not read them, there are 
six or seven books. They're written by C.S. Lewis, a friend of J.R.R. Tolkien, and uh, definitely a Trojan horse author in the Christian, in the world of Christian literature and art. So that piece was a, like I said, it was a collaboration with C.S. Lewis, who's no longer with us, and myself and my dear friend Connell, who created the music for that piece, C-O-N-A-L. I will link his beautiful tunes in the show notes so you can check him out. I highly recommend. His music is very alive, very, very beautiful. Celtic, lots of pipes, flutes, whistles, and keys, a little bit of synth. And we did that in 2020 on cell phones. And uh, I have graciously gotten Connell's permission to publish it because it's not how he rolls. He's an excellent artist. And after we recorded that version, we tried again to record it on proper sound equipment, but we could just never capture the life that we captured in the original one. So I begged a little and he said, yes, you can publish it. So grateful because that piece is very, very alive. And I was creating this Part of, whoops, I got a little bit of shiny paint on that black wheel. This part of the painting during the creation, which is an illustration of the synodic cycle of Mercury, the planet Mercury. The synodic cycle means the cycle, the pattern of the cycle created between Mercury and the sun and the earth that is, that was happening at the time of my birth. And I am currently in this piece exploring ways to illustrate synodic cycles because I need to see them for my brain to get it. Doing this is causing me to understand my synodic cycles. Did I take care of some of that texture? Um, I'm just painting this this part over because it needed two it needed two layers so we started here and i wanted to i created the texture to get more paint to stick around on the second layer um but i didn't want the texture to stay because it was kind of erratic and weird so i think i I think I've done well, and I hope so because what we're gonna do today is put some put some action on this inner wheel. Why? Because that is what I'm led to do. So as soon as this dries, and it should dry quickly, it's acrylic paint. We'll do that. Um, until then, let me show you one little fun thing. Oh, so last week I. A couple weeks ago, I attempted to record this episode, and wow, uh, 
did not happen. I might, I might tell more of that story later, but anyway, this is the, I don't know if you'll be able to see it. This is the shiny paint that I used from the first version. And that precious little gnat, see the gnat in the shiny paint? Lost its life in the shiny paint. So I had to memorialize it by sharing it with you. Yeah, good job, iPhone. It's pretty beautiful, actually. Um, some really beautiful stories about bugs interacting with my artwork. And uh, yeah, that's for another day, though. So the music that you're hearing in the background is a chill lo-fi mix by Serene Studios. And it's, I mean, personally, it's hard to find one of these that I like, and I just think this one is so lovely. It's called Oriental, and I will also link it. And um, yeah, I just wanna have music in the background that doesn't have lyrics, and it's kind of a challenge to find. There's a little fuzzy thing. So while this is drying, we'll talk about this cycle. What we have here is the beginning of the cycle, one quarter way through, midpoint of the cycle, three quarters of the way through, and then back to the beginning. And the beginning of the cycle is, in this way of looking at it, the interior conjunction of Mercury with the Sun. That means there's the Earth, and then Mercury and the Sun. So Mercury is the closest it ever gets to us. This happens during a Mercury retrograde really close. The volume of Mercury is turned way up high. And that is seen as the conception or the birth. Um, those are two different moments and we will actually get into that a little bit later when talking about my what I'm going to illustrate with the configuration of my planets here today. But um, different people consider this different things, conception or birth. And uh, to me, it, it, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it kind of blows my mind. So jury's out for me on this, but I definitely consider it the beginning of the cycle, um, even though I haven't figured out the metaphor yet. So midway, not midway, quarterway through the cycle is when Mercury is the farthest from the sun and the most visible, the highest and bright, brightest in the sky. Both of these happened in Sagittarius for me, and I'm, my cycle started before my birth. So this is the interior conjunction that happened closest to my birth, before my birth. So I'm a part in Venus, with Venus, which is this middle circle, we call that the Venus star point. I have not heard anybody say the Mercury star point, but I don't know why. Uh, seems like the same the same thing to me with another planet, but they're both interior planets. So their patterns are the same. They're different because they're different distances. They're different octaves. But they're also the same in their interaction with us and the sun. So I'm curious about that. Um more to come. So, okay, the um, 
I'm illustrating these synodic cycles like the moon phases, even though they're not exactly like the moon phases. This is the best idea I have right now to begin working with it. And I have to work with it with my hands. I can't work with it in my brain without working with it with my hands. So this is my learning curve and I prefer to make beautiful things out of my learning curve. <laughs> so this is like the first quarter moon. And then halfway through the cycle, we have another conjunction with the sun from Mercury, but Mercury's on the other side of the sun. Totally invisible to us. It's invisible to us when it's in front of the sun as well. But it, it to me, feels even more invisible when it's on the other side of the sun because it's so far away from us and there's an atomic fireball between us and Mercury. And there are, of course, a different ways that people look at this. Um, and all of them valid. What I'm feeling and experiencing at this point in my life is that I feel very cut off from the planet that is behind the sun. Like it doesn't exist. It's not a terribly comfortable feeling. I'm picturing this like a full moon. Um, and it is like a full moon in that it's a straight lineup between these heavenly bodies, but it's a different order of them. So we have the earth, the sun, and then Mercury on the other side. That happened for me in Aquarius. And then the next quarter here is when Mercury comes out from behind the sun and is moving back towards the sun again and is the furthest away from the sun that it will be before it starts moving close again. So it's the most visible, highest in the sky. That happened in Aries, but just before that happened, I was born <laughs> with Mercury in Pisces. So Mercury was not unlike my, my Venus, but on the opposite side of the, of the pattern of the cycle. Mercury was almost at maximum elongation, was moving towards maximum elongation, towards Aries, but in Pisces. So this is my Mercury cycle. Now, Mercury, as we know, relates to communication and language, which is why I chose to illustrate it with Aslan creating Narnia through his song. And this is a very consistent element in all mythology of all time that, just realized I'm going the opposite way on the wheel that the sun goes. Interesting, well I am talking about retrogrades. So this is the sun, and the, not just the sun, the sun and the planets is the east, all rise in the east, culminate overhead, set in the west, anti-culminate underneath, and move back again to rising. Just a little side note. Um, yeah, so it's a consistent theme in all of mythology that language 
created all that is. And I personally love the the Newsian artistic twist on it, that music created all that is, which is, after all, the universal language. La musica de univers universalis. The music of the universe. The song of the spheres. And, uh, and then I moved into creating the glyphs of the zodiac wheel in the houses where they appeared at the moment of my birth. <laughs> I don't know what the doctor said the moment of my birth was. Was it when my head crowned? Was it when, when the top of my head crowned? Or was it when my whole head came out and I took my first breath and screamed into the world, screamed my life into the world? Was it when my whole body came out of my mother's womb? and birth canal and yoni holy temple was it when they cut the umbilical cord was it 10 minutes later when the doctor finally was able to pay attention enough to call a birth time and he had to estimate the birth time is wiggly and i have noticed in my visual work with the chart through the years, my great pleasure and honor and obsession in this life, that the geometry of the movement of the planets is also wiggly. Are we dry yet? Nope. So I'm gonna, I'm not gonna illustrate, I'm gonna do something I haven't done before. And I'm only gonna illustrate four planets in this particular film. I will bring in the others later. And then I'm gonna, but I'm gonna create the aspects between the planets, which I do with needle and thread. This is a silk, silk thread. It's very spider, very, very spider. Sp Did you know that spider webs are silk? It's a kind of silk that they make. I mean, of course it is. Silkworms make silk. Silk comes from insects and arachnids, and it is oh so fine. So it's very much a spell. I've always known it to be that, even though that even when I didn't really the first years of creating in this way, it was just so I was just so I was chan I was just channeling it. I could understand what was coming through me, but not in language and not in a way that I could share. And um, I've always known, much more has been filled in since then, but I've always known that the weaving of the positions of the planets into their geometry at the moment of birth on someone's natal chart for them on behalf of them is a spell, not unlike the whole nine months of their gestation. And that as such, it is alive, which means it's dynamic, it's constantly moving. And I always have created it as one piece. And to the degree that occasionally when I fuck it up, I, I start over. I take out all of the thread 
and start over. So this will be different and I'm curious to see what comes through around it that I'm gonna be doing this in two parts. So I'll finish what I finished today with just the four planets and I'm, I'm gonna thread them. Uh, it's a very powerful central geometry in the configuration of the planets at my birth and I'm feeling called to highlight it and to create it first. So that's what I'm going to do. And what I'm going to illustrate is not exactly what it was at the moment of my birth. Um, I am taking creative, there's a degree of me taking creative liberties because of the symmetry of these planets and um, how beautiful it's going to be represented on this piece. And um, so it's not exact, it's more wiggly. They're not precise angles at the moment of my birth. They're close, but they're not precise. And so I was looking at it before I came on and started recording. And um, plug this in, plug in my computer the music doesn't go away in the middle of recording what I realized okay so I'm not I'm not can I put it on yet are we dry yet yeah 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 we're dry enough at the places where oh maybe I'll wait here wait on that one okay This glove, I don't just wear to look cool. I, need, I really need some more gloves now that I'm filming myself. <laughs> I need some more gloves to mix it up, but I've used this one for the entirety of my career and it makes me really happy. It came from uh, really fun experiences when I lived in Seattle at the time of the beginning of all of this. Um, but I, I wear it to not smudge the artwork and to not get my my skin oils on the piece which is not as problematic with canvas but um definitely with semi-wet paint so okay we're gonna put venus here at the tip top oh it's so hard to do while recording really not my favorite circle of all time you really shouldn't go back in moments like these but it actually made it better yeah pretty okay uh venus was actually um not on this cusp it was a little bit before um mercury we're gonna put Ooh, that is damp let's do let's do it let's just do it and put mercury right here Uranus here. Oh, it's so pretty. It just 
feels like everything is right with the world when I'm doing this. Jupiter. It's funny, I got a little flash of Saturn right before I started drawing that Jupiter glyph. Okay. So, my Mercury is in Pisces. My Uranus is in Scorpio. My Jupiter is not in Cancer. My Jupiter is in Leo, and but <laughs> retrograded back into Cancer a few hours after I was born. So I kind of get the best of both worlds here. And then, yeah, my Venus is in Capricorn. So what we have here is called a kite formation or a diamond formation. I like to think of it as a diamond form formation. Obviously I do. I have Venus as my chart ruler. I have Venus at the top of my chart. I'm very Venusian. I, kites are beautiful, but diamonds, ugh, the earth does that. Yeah, it's a diamond. So it's gonna be a, a grand water trine. I think I, I think, I think I'm, I think I, you know, if my mom had given birth to me just a few hours later, my Jupiter would be in, um, in Cancer. But what happened was Jupiter, Jupiter moved into Leo all the way into eight degrees of Leo while I was gestating and then moved backwards. And on the day of my birth, a few hours after I was born, moved back into Cancer and I think just went a couple of degrees into into cancer before it uh, moved forward again and went back into Leo um, and so I thought okay well these are fast moving planets so this whole configuration is kind of uh, but the foundation of it it's it's rooted grounded in the trine between these two outer planets so when did they trine and it turns out they trined one another in these water elementals around the time of my conception midway through the water signs and um, interestingly enough Venus Venus conjunct Jupiter I didn't look at the exact date but a couple of weeks before that so Venus was down here and then moves halfway across the wheel over the course of the, the first nine months of my life inside of my mother's belly. So these two were still traveling with each other, but moving further and further apart. Certainly a, um, what do they call it? Anyway, they're moving further apart. They're separating, they're a separate, separating trine. But given that we're looking at the event of my birth, and this happened around the time of my conception, that is very influential. I've always felt the influence of this trine in my life, of the whole water trine, pr profoundly. And, um, and so then what happens is when I'm born, these two fast-moving planets move through, create a configuration, light up, light up, that trine that perfected around the time of my parents' love-making magic that brought me here and 
this whole thing lights up and I come through it. Oops, sorry, pardon me. Um, and I see I've, I've, it didn't happen. It took years before it started to happen, but as I created more and more charts for people in this way, I began to see the pat the patterns that weren't immediately apparent because of what had come before and what it was and what they were moving into and it's like I could and I mean we're talking about a 360 degree system I don't like calling the solar system a system it's so mechanical and human anyway I'm working on a better word for it <laughs> um those are my grand plans in this life the system is dynamic and alive and it's always moving and it's creating ever dynamic constantly changing shapes and just like language just like any kind of language just like music it's constantly this is la musica dei universalis this is the 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 patterns that we recognize as lovely as coherent that we recognize as holding meaning that's what language is it's a conglomeration of of sounds or images that create patterns and those patterns hold meaning and and thus we can understand what their meaning is you can understand the meaning of a minor chord compared to the meaning of a major chord that is communicated and that's how the planets moving communicate with us whether or not we're paying attention it's like whether or not we're paying attention and we understand why if it rains we get we get wet if we go out in in the rain that's my neighbor upstairs it's not his or my pet brontosaurus <laughs> out of that joke earlier <laughs> it's not a dinosaur upstairs it's not a brontosaurus it's just my neighbor don't mind him uh, um uh so so i would see as i was creating people's charts i would be able to see the pattern forming and unforming even though it wasn't exactly you know not always is it caught in the moment of exact but that's jazz, right? <sighs> that's jazz, and we like that. Um, so, again, that all of that to say that this that I think I'm gonna go ahead and I think I'm gonna go ahead and put the um, the string on. I'm gonna go ahead and weave the spell, and you can witness it. Um, This is like fiction based on a true story. <laughs> okay. Um, so I want to say some words about my Mercury. Um, I also want to say some words about Jesus. I have some scripture to read of various sources. Okay, so what I do is I always take my glove off for this and I measure it by going, having a little bit of extra, and then go one, two, one, two, one, two, 
one, two, and then a little bit of extra. Because nothing's more disappointing than having your string too short when you're trying to weave a spell in front of a video recorder to present to the whole world. <laughs> like the whole world's gonna watch. It's just the point that the whole world could watch. Oh, let me here, let me do this online. Oh, I didn't thread the needle online. Well, some magic happens in the dark, you know. All right, I don't like to double knot this because then it makes a bigger hole. But I do double knot this. So it doesn't come through the smaller hole. Okay, here we go. So Mercury went retrograde about a week after I was born. See, because it's moving back towards the conjunction, the inner conjunction with the sun. So Mercury was at the end of its cycle towards the end of its cycle when I was born, which means, okay, which means that I have had Mercury retrograde in my progressed chart for a huge swath of my life, and it was in its shadow for my whole life up to, I think it went, my progressed Mercury went retrograde when I was, can you see this? Yeah, you can. When I was uh, 14. And um, so it was pretty much in its shadow before then. And then it went direct around the time, around the time, interestingly, that I started this work. God, it just wants to come through right there, even though I don't want it to. Oh, there's a good spot. Okay, here we go. No, I want it. I, want, I see where I want it to come through. But it's going to be in its shadow. Rig. My progressed Mercury will be in its shadow. Um... like 20 more years or something so this explains a lot especially given that my mercury is in pisces okay so i always put it through at the point at the planet where i'm compelled to and we're going to illustrate this raja yoga as the vedic astrologers call it first this is pretty big, pretty big opposition between these two benefics. So we'll start there. And uh, yeah, I've just, I've always had a very powerful ability to communicate and challenged to do so in the context of this culture. 
Can you still see? Okay, I'm going for Mercury now. And yeah, I have a grand water trine with Mercury, Uranus, and uh, that's a good spot. And Jupiter. It's big. It's big time. It did a thing. Okay, so in the back of this canvas is a frame. So what we're gonna have to do is we're gonna have to take it off of this. Take it off the needle. Thread it back through. And it went around the, the frame and it needs to go under the frame. That will just never do. So when I, uh, yeah, when I created this piece a couple weeks ago with the first part that you saw with the creation of Narnia, and then I talked afterwards, um, I, just, I talked a lot about Jesus, which I have really intense emotions around, and the whole thing bombed so hardcore on every level. And I was just really fascinated by that. All right, you're not gonna see for a minute while I get this needle. Not and also not surprised, fascinated and not surprised, and so I just realized I had to calm down, calm the f down, Eve, and not uh, not try to like. It's just hard for me to talk about. So here's what I want to say about Jesus, and then I'm gonna. I'm going to read some scripture. What I want to say is that it's time. The time is now for Jesus to be free. Freed from the prison of Christian doctrine. Look at that. Look at that magic. Did not plan that. <laughs> I literally just made a cross right when I said that. Magic. See, this is why I want to record while creating the pieces. Because the, that kind of thing happens all the time. And it's just gone. And then I try to tell you about it. But it's not the same as witnessing it. I'm telling you, working artistically with the natal chart is so, so, so potent. It is a crucible. It has possessed me. It owns me. It's how God speaks to me. I love it so much. I love it so much. So I was thinking of the scripture earlier. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to my Father except through me. Jesus said that. So say the, the Gospels. And um, we humans like to think that we know what that means and use it 
like an iron bar to beat others with or to imprison others with <laughs> and to imprison others with and it's just time for it to stop sure maybe that's true I'm sure it's true Jesus said it it's possible that it got recorded incorrectly that's possible but I tend to not think that um, scripture really gets fucked up that much but more that interpretation gets fucked up because scripture is alive oh there's me there's my eye if you've ever immersed yourself in a holy text is alive i'm going to read you some of the texts that i uh experience as alive In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. My own parentheses, because the darkness didn't fucking need to. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Notice, you know, we, it's like we can real quickly get like, oh, every man and woman, that should not be generic. Well, <laughs> And maybe it should, uh, not generic, that should not be um, gendered. But if we think about it as speaking to the masculine principle, the masculine principle recognize, or represent, is represented by light and the feminine principle is rep represented by darkness. So yes, this man, John, was sent to bear witness of this other man, Jesus, to bear witness of the light from his father. Well, yeah, we talk about mother in another time, in another context, because she is the darkness. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth and beauty. Our Jesus, our Jesus. Now, put that paintbrush in the water that I forgot to last time and it almost died, it almost killed my paintbrush. So what does Aleister Crowley have to say about the name, the name above all names? The name itself, this is from the Book of Thoth, the name itself, accordingly, is no longer a fixed symbol, emblem of extension and limit, but a continuously revolving sphere. In the words of Zoroaster, rebounding, whirling forth, crying aloud, as John crying in the wilderness. This is he of whom it is said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He was at the foundation of the world. He was the song that was sung. Again, I think this is the last scripture of today's sermon. <laughs> Didn't know you were getting a sermon when you tuned into this, did you? This is the Tao Te Ching. Uh, my copy is totally drenched in espresso from my espresso days. I used to take this book with me and paint little espresso paintings of these scriptures at the coffee shop. A way that can be walked is not the way. A name that can be named is not the name. Tao is both named and nameless. As nameless, it is the origin of all things. As named, it is the mother of all things. A mind free of thought, merged within itself, beholds the essence of Tao. A mind filled with thought, identified with its own perceptions, beholds the mere forms of this world. Tao and this world seem different, but in truth, they are one and the same. The only difference is in what we call them. Yes. How deep and mysterious is this unity? How profound, how great. It is the truth beyond the truth, the hidden within the hidden. It is the path to all wonder, the gate to the essence of everything. Beautiful, beautiful. 
to see. Getting it in the hole that the exact hole that it already went through once. All right. One time, I'm sure it happened more than once. I've gone through the hole and pulled the pulled the string right out. Uh oh, I think I created a knot. Oh no. Oh no. I hope I don't run out. I was gonna do this, but will I have enough? Wow. I see. If I run out on film, I will just be. So bummed. Is it going to make a difference if I do that? Because then I'll go from there. Oh no. If I do this, and then from there to there. I think that's what I have to do. That's what my intuition is telling me. It's going to be really close, y'all. Can't even believe it. Go back up to this Venus point. truth. Fuck. Fuck me running. Wonder. Can't even believe it. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, oh, that's so painful. <laughs> Take it out. Look at that. Look at that. Right, the question is, am I gonna keep talking and keep filming? Or new? I think, um, I don't know how I messed it up. I mean, other than just because I did it live, but I did my measurements like I always do. It's fascinating. Fascinating. I haven't, I have not done that. I have not undershot it like that once or twice, maybe. Like that is not normally what I do. I normally overshoot it if I'm gonna get it, get it off. I can't even keep filming because, let's see. precise measurement of a string that is too short. So I'm going to make the next string longer. So funny. So I have been earthing 
they call it earthing or grounding, uh, which is sort of like the verb of grounded, right? It makes sense. And what you do is just get your body, it's just like what humans used to do without even, just by, just by existing here. Um, you just, you get your body in contact, your skin, your bare skin in contact with the earth. And, um, solves all manner of problems. Surprise, surprise. And um, I just have been experiencing, so here's my Uranus in my seventh house. Bless my heart, Scorpio. And um, Uranus is currently in Taurus. I'm uh, pretty close to my Uranus opposition. And um, it's, so it's in my first house by the whole sign house system. And it's been in my first house since it went to Taurus in 2019. And I've mentioned this before. Oh, see, I had another opportunity to thread a needle on film, and I didn't do it. And uh, so I just, I just experienced a lot of electricity in my body, in my nervous system. I have always had an unbalanced nervous system my whole life, and I just feel like I struck gold um, with this discovery. It's so funny. It's just so hysterical when we get told to do things that are so natural to do in order to solve physical, emotional, mental, life problems. Um, it's like, oh, just go like walk around barefoot. <laughs> Call me in the morning. Um, so I've been doing that and getting some pretty cool insights, which wasn't the reason that I did it, that I started doing it, but, um, okay, there's number one, here we go, here we go, there it is, almost, that's just gonna have to be it, because if I poke too many little bitty baby holes there, it will become a problematic larger hole that is challenging to repair. All right, we're in! a whole new topic kind of I'm just gonna leave it there for right now it is something that I will talk about more in the future but what I'm gonna say is just in regards to the story of the creation of this piece um last week no I keep saying last week it wasn't last week it was several weeks ago um that I was so emotional about it and um I wasn't I wasn't in the flow. I knew I wasn't in the flow, but I only had a little sliver of time and I really wanted to create it. I was super inspired because I felt all of this coming through. Oh my God, so much was coming through. It was, it was just, it was just too much to handle. I was like, I have to get it out. This revelation that I was getting around Mercury and Jesus. And, um, so I was like, oh, the, you know, the, the, um, I'm not in the flow, everything's not feeling lined up, but I gotta get it out, I just gotta get it out. And um, so I, I did it and I wasn't super pleased with it, but I was like, it's good enough. And then I couldn't, I couldn't 
get it to cooperate. I couldn't get my tech to cooperate. That's just the easy, uh, simple of it. I couldn't get my tech to cooperate. I couldn't. And it's making me crazy. And um, so I just let it go. I just said, okay, I won't, I won't publish this. And then as soon as I let it go, I realized it was a pure and utter shit. It was not, it was just not good. Like what came out was just not great. It was not good. And um, so I said, well, I'll keep the first part because I recorded, I created this cycle of Mercury to the soundtrack of Aslan creating Narnia and there's just no way that that couldn't be magical. So I'll just keep that part and re-record it, the second part, when I'm ready. And, uh, man, it was, uh, it was an experience in artistry because I went through this, like, I went down this rabbit hole of, not rabbit hole, but whatever, of thinking that I couldn't find the original, that I couldn't find the original version that him and I had done. That the version that I found was, and it was, the version that I found was the version that we had re-recorded on good equipment. So it sounded better, but it was not alive. It was not alive. And, and I had worked myself up into such a frenzy over this that when I found the original version, when I found the actual original version, I was just like, it's not right. It's not the one. I couldn't even recognize it. I couldn't even recognize it as the one, as the living, original gnosis of what we had done together, of what we had made. And, um, oh, the pattern is different this time. Interesting. And I'm real curious to, so I have this interesting relationship with technology. I'm real curious to see how the tech end of publishing this one goes this time, because yeah, look at this. I mean, so pretty but this okay so mercury is electric uranus is electric they're like octaves of each other they both rule the nervous system communication electricity and when they're in relationship with each other i feel it every time i feel it i'm like what are mercury and uranus doing and i look at the chart and they're always doing something <laughs> they're always in some kind of really potent alignment with each other and um so I have this relationship with technology where if I, you know, some people say like, oh, technology never cooperates with me. I just have too much energy. Like it gets all flubbed by my energy field. You might experience that. Like if someone has really a uh, intense energetic field, they don't do well with technology. And my experience has been that I have to manage my electric field. Like I have to manage my energetic field in order to have a good relationship with technology. I did tech work for a couple of years and what I had to learn in order to do tech work was how to 
turn off my emotions. Honestly, I had to turn off my emotions. I had to manage my electric field. And, um, and then I could, all of my equipment worked. And if I got spun up, my equipment would stop working. And um, so that's just a little tip to anybody who has that problem. Um, it's, it's, it's something that you can work with. You can work with like uh, some, my password at work. I'm gonna tell you what it is. I'm not gonna tell you my work password, but I will tell you that the password is a blessing um, to, on my machine. So that every time I'm entering all of my passwords, they're all a variation on the same password. And every time I'm entering them, I'm blessing my machine. I'm blessing the program. And it makes a difference. When I first got that computer, it wasn't great. It was flubbing up a lot. And I just started speaking real sweet to it, giving it love. When I got frustrated, stepping away and taking some deep breaths and um, telling it how great it is. And uh, it's probably also good, good, good AI etiquette. Highly recommend this as AI etiquette. Um, I will also often visualize a Taurus field. If my equipment isn't working, I will just put my hands on it. Like I would put my hands on someone who was in pain to give them good chi. And I put my hands on the machine and I close my eyes and I visualize a Taurus field. And I tell it it's awesome and that it can take its time. And nine times out of 10, it will resolve itself. So that is my prayer for this piece, this film that I've just created for you, that, um, that the tech gods will smile on me. Please, Mercury, I beseech thee. <laughs> May the tech gods smile on me and on this work. And thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I hope that this has been enjoyable for you and informative for you and um, and a, a piece of beauty, living, moving beauty that you can take in and receive and be healed and transformed and changed by and Thank you to Jesus, to Mercury, to Aslan, to Alistair, to the Tao. Thank you to all the mercurial teachers of our world. Thank you, God. Until next time, this has been the Song of the Spheres podcast. I love you all. Mwah.